0: CHAPTER 43 OF SNARLEYOW BY FREDERICK MARRIOTT THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN IN WHICH SMALLBONES CHANGES FROM A KING'S MAN INTO A SMUGGLER, AND ALSO CHANGES HIS SEX. IF WE ADHERED TO THE USUAL PLANS OF HISTORICAL NOVEL WRITERS, we should, in this instance, leave smallbones to what must appear to have been his inevitable fate, and then bring him on the stage again with a coup de théâtre, when least expected by the reader. But that is not our intention. We consider that the interest of this, our narration of bygone events, is quite sufficient, without condescending to what is called clap-trap. And there are so many people in our narrative continually labouring under deception of one kind or another, that we need not add to it by attempting to mystify our readers, whom, on the contrary, we shall take with us familiarly by the hand, and, like a faithful historian, lead them through the events in the order in which they occurred, and point out to them how they all lead to one common end. With this intention in view, we shall now follow the fortunes of Smallbones, whom we left floundering in about seven fathoms water. The weather was warm, even sultry, as we said before, but notwithstanding which, and notwithstanding he was a very tolerable swimmer, considering that he was so thin, Smallbones did not like it. To be awoke out of a profound sleep, and all of a sudden to find yourself floundering out of your depth about half a mile from the nearest land is anything but agreeable. The transition is too rapid. Smallbones descended a few feet before he could divest himself of the folds of the flushing coat which he had wrapped himself up in. It belonged to Cobble. He had purchased it at a sales shop on the point for seventeen shillings and sixpence, and, moreover, it was as good as new. In consequence of this delay below watermark, Smallbones had very little breath left in his body when he rose to the surface, and he could not inflate his lungs so as to call loud until the cutter had walked away from him at least one hundred yards. For she was slipping fast through the water, and another minute plainly proved to Smallbones that he was left to his own resources. At first the lad had imagined that it was an accident, and that the rope had given way with his weight. But when he found that no attention was paid to his cries, he then was convinced that it was the work of Mr. Van Slyperken. "'By gum! He's a-done for me at last! Well, I don't care. I can die but once, that's sartin' sure. And he'll go to the devil, that's sartin' sure.' and Smallbones, with this comfortable assurance, continued to strike out for the land, which, indeed, he had but little prospect of ever making. "'A shame for to come for to go to murder a poor lad three or four times over,' sputtered Smallbones, after a time feeling his strength fail him. He then turned on his back to ease his arms. "'I can't do it no how I sees that,' "'said Smallbones, "'so I may as well go down like a dipsy lead.' "'But as he muttered this, "'and was making up his mind to discontinue further exertions, "'not a very easy thing to do "'when you are about to go into another world,' "'still floating on his back "'with his eyes fixed on the starry heavens, "'thinking, as Smallbones afterwards narrated himself, "'that there wasn't much to live for in this here world,' and considering what there could be in that air, his head struck against something hard. Smallbones immediately turned round in the water to see what it was, and found that it was one of the large corks which supported a heavy net laid out across the tide for the taking of shoal fish. The cork was barely sufficient to support his weight, but it gave him a certain relief, and time to look about him, as the saying is the lad ran under the net and cork with his hands until he arrived at the nearest shoal, for it was three or four hundred yards long. When he arrived there, he contrived to bring some of the corks together, until he had quite sufficient for his support. And then Smallbones voted himself pretty comfortable after all, for the water was very warm and now quite smooth. Smallbones, as the reader may have observed during the narration, was a lad of most indisputable courage and of good principles. Had it been his fortune to have been born among the higher classes and to have had all the advantages of education, he might have turned out a hero. As it was, he did his duty well in that state of life to which he had been called, and as he said in his speech to the men on the forecastle, he feared God, honored the king, and was the natural enemy to the devil. The chevalier Bayard was nothing more, only he had a wider field for his exertions and his talents, but the armed and accoutred Bayard did not show more courage and conduct when leading armies to victory than did the unarmed smallbones against Van Slyperken and his dog. We consider that, in his way, Smallbones was quite as great a hero as the Chevalier, for no man can do more than his best. Indeed, it is unreasonable to expect it. While Smallbones hung on to the corks, he was calculating his chances of being saved. If be as how they comes to take up the nets in the morning, why then I think I may hold on, but if so be they waits, why they'll find me dead as a fish. Said Smallbones, who seldom ventured above a monosyllable, and whose language, if not considered as pure English, was certainly amazingly Saxon. And then Smallbones began to reflect whether it was not necessary that he should forgive Mr. Vanslyperken before he died. And his pros and cons ended with his thinking he could, for it was his duty. However, he would not be in a hurry about it. He thought that was the last thing that he need do. But as for the dog, he weren't obliged to forgive him, that was certain, as certain as that his tail was off. And smallbones, up to his chin in the water, grinned so at the remembrance that he took in more salt water than was pleasant. He spit it out again, and then looked up to the stars which were twinkling above him. I wonder what o'clock it is thought Smallbones, when he thought he heard a distant sound. Smallbones pricked up his ears and listened. Yes, it was in regular cadence, and became louder and louder. It was a boat pulling. Well, I am sure, thought Smallbones, they'll think they have caught a queer fish anyhow. And he waited very patiently for the fisherman to come up. At last he perceived the boat, which was very long and pulled many oars. "'They be the smugglers,' thought Smallbones. "'I wonder whether they'll pick up a poor lad. Boat ahoy!' The boat continued to pass toward the coast, impelled at the speed of seven or eight miles an hour, and was now nearly abreast of Smallbones, and not fifty yards from him. "'I say, boat ahoy!' screamed Smallbones, to the extent of his voice. He was heard this time, and there was a pause in the pulling. The boat still driving through the water with the impulse which had been given her as if she required no propelling power. I say, you aren't a-going to come for to leave a poor lad here to be drowned, are you thats smallbones I'll swear, cried Jimmy Ducks, who was steering the boat, and who immediately shifted the helm, but Sir Robert Barclay paused. There was too much at stake to run any risk, even to save the life of a fellow creature. "'You takes your time for to think on it, anyhow,' cried Smallbones. "'You are going for to leave a fellow Christian stuck like a herring in a fishing net, are you? You would not like it yourselves, anyhow.' "'It is Smallbones, sir,' repeated Jemmy Ducks, "'and I'll vouch for him as a lad that's good and true.' Sir Robert no longer hesitated. "'Give way, my lads, and pick him up.' In a few minutes Smallbones was hauled in over the gunwale, and was seated on the stern-sheets opposite to Sir Robert. "'It's a great deal colder out of the water than in, that's certain,' observed Smallbones, shivering. "'Give way, my lads, we've no time to stay,' cried Sir Robert. "'Take this, Smallbones,' said Jemmy. "'Why, so it's Jemmy Ducks,' replied Smallbones, with astonishment. "'Why, how did you come here?' Circumstances," replied Jemmy. "'How did you come here?' "'Circumstances, too, Jemmy,' replied Smallbones. "'Keep silence,' said Sir Robert, and nothing more was said until the lugger dashed into the cave.' The cargo was landed, and Smallbones, who was very cold, was not sorry to assist. He carried up his load with the rest, and, as usual, the women came halfway down to receive it. "'Why, who have we here?' said one of the women, to whom Smallbones was delivering his load. "'Why, it's Smallbones.' "'Yes,' replied Smallbones. "'It is me. But how came you here, Nancy?' "'That's tellings. But how came you, my lad?' replied Nancy. "'I came by water, anyhow.' "'Well, you are one of us now. You know there's no going back.' "'I'm sure I don't want to go back, Nancy. But what is to be done? Nothing unchristian-like, I hope.' "'We're all good Christians here, Smallbones. We don't bow down to idols and pay duty to them, as other people do.' Do you fear God and honor the king? We do, the first as much as other people, and, as for the king, we love him and serve him faithfully. Well, then, I suppose that's all right, replied Smallbones, but where do you live? Come with me and take your load up, and I will show you, for the sooner you are there the better. The boat will be off again in half an hour, if I mistake not off where to france with a message to the king why the king's in holland we left him there when we sailed pooh nonsense come along when sir robert arrived at the cave he found an old friend anxiously awaiting his arrival it was graham who had been dispatched by the jacobites to the court of st germain with intelligence of great importance which was the death of the young duke of gloucester the only surviving son of King William. He had, it was said, died of a malignant fever. But if the reader will call to mind the address of one of the Jesuits on the meeting at Cherbourg, he may have some surmises as to the cause of the Duke's decease. As this event rendered the succession uncertain, the hopes of the Jacobites were raised to the highest pitch, the more so, as the country was in a state of anxiety and confusion, and King William was absent at The Hague. Graham had therefore been dispatched to the exiled James with the propositions from his friends in England, and to press the necessity of an invasion of the country. As Nancy had supposed, Sir Robert decided upon immediately crossing over to Cherbourg. The crew were allowed a short time to repose and refresh themselves and once more returned to their laborious employment. Jemmy Duck satisfied Sir Robert that Smallbones might be trusted and be useful, and Nancy corroborated his assertions. He was, therefore, allowed to remain in the cave with the women, and Sir Robert and his crew, long before Smallbones' garments were dry, were again crossing the English Channel. Now it must be observed that Smallbones was never well off for clothes and on this occasion, when he fell overboard, he had nothing on but an old pair of thin linen trousers, and a shirt which, from dint of long washing, from check had turned to a light cerulean blue. What with his struggles at the net and the force used to pull him into the boat, the shirt had more than one half disappeared. That is to say, one sleeve and the back were wholly gone, and the other sleeve was well prepared to follow its fellow on the 1st capful of wind. His trousers also were in almost as bad a state. In hauling him in, when his head was over the gunwale, one of the men had seized him by the seat of his trousers to lift him into the boat, and the consequence was that the seat of his trousers, having been too long sat upon, was also left in his muscular grip. All these items put together, the reader may infer that, although smallbones might appear merely ragged in front in his rear he could not be considered as decent especially as he was the only one of the masculine sex among a body of females no notice was taken of this by others nor did smallbones observe it himself during the confusion and bustle previous to the departure of the smugglers but now they were gone smallbones perceived his deficiencies and was very much at a loss what to do, as he was well aware that daylight would discover them to others as well as to himself. So he fixed his back up against one of the rocks, and remained idle while the women were busily employed storing away the cargo in the various compartments of the cave. Nancy, who had not forgotten that he was with them, came up to him. "'Why do you stay there, smallbones?' "'You must be hungry and cold. "'Come in with me, and I will find you something to eat.' "'I can't, Mistress Nancy. "'I want your advice first. "'Has any of the men left any of their duds in this here cavern?' "'Duds? "'Men? "'No, they keep them all on the other side. "'We have nothing but petticoats here and shimmies.' "'Then what must I do?' exclaimed Smallbones. Oh, I see. Your shirt is torn off your back. Well, never mind. I'll lend you a shimmy. Yes, Mistress Nancy, but it be more worse than that. I ain't got no behind to my trousers. They pulled it out when they pulled me into the boat. I sticks to this here rock for decency's sake. What must I do? Nancy burst into a laugh. Do? Why, if you can't have men's clothes you must put on the women's, and then you'll be in the regular uniform of the cave. I do suppose that I must, but I can't say that I like the idea much anyhow, replied Smallbones. Why, you don't mean to stick to that rock like a limpet all your life, do you? There's plenty of work for you. If so be I must, I must, replied Smallbones. You can't appear before Mistress Alice in that state, "'replied Nancy. "'She's a lady bred and born, "'and very particular, too. "'And then there's Miss Lily. "'You will turn her as red as a rose "'if she sees you.' "'Well, then, I suppose I must, "'Mistress Nancy, "'for I shall catch my death of cold here. "'I'm all wet and shivery "'from being so long in the water, "'and my back against the rock "'feels just as ice.' "'No wonder. "'I'll run and fetch you something,' "'replied Nancy.' who was delighted at the idea of dressing up Smallbones as a woman. Nancy soon returned with a chemise, a short flannel petticoat, and a shawl, which she gave to Smallbones, desiring him to take off his wet clothes and substitute them. She would return to him as soon as he had put them on, and see that they were put tidy and right. Smallbones retired behind one of the rocks and soon shifted his clothes, He put everything on the hind part before, and Nancy had to alter them when she came. She adjusted the shawl and then led him into the cave, where he found Mistress Alice and some of the women who were not busy with the cargo. "'Here's the poor lad who was thrown overboard, madam,' said Nancy, retaining her gravity. "'All his clothes were torn off his back, and I have been obliged to give him these to put on.' Lady Ramsay could hardly repress a smile. Smallbone's appearance was that of a tall, gaunt creature, pale enough and smooth enough to be a woman, certainly, but cutting a most ridiculous figure. His long, thin arms were bare, his neck was like a crane's, and the petticoats were so short as to reach almost above his knees. Shoes and stockings he had none. His long hair was plaited and matted with the salt water, and one side of his head was shaved and exhibited a monstrous half-heeled scar. Lady Ramsay asked him a few questions, and then desired Nancy to give him some refreshment, and find him something to lie down upon in the division of the cave which was used as a kitchen. But we must now leave Smallbones to entertain the inhabitants of the cave with the history of his adventures, which he did at intervals during his stay there, He retained his women's clothes, for Nancy would not let him wear any other, and was a source of great amusement, not only to the smuggler's wives, but also to little Lily, who would listen to his conversation and remarks which were almost as naive and unsophisticated as her own. End of chapter 43. Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina.